Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins and it's great to have your company. Two big news items to begin this week. I'm travelling to Canada later this month to do some shows and some talks. I'm playing at the Grand Theatre in Ontario on Thursday, October 27 at 7pm. Tickets are on sale now, so go to grandtheatre.com, click on tickets. It's called Somewhere Along the Way, an evening with Dan Mullins. Grab some friends because it will be a magical night. I'll sing songs written for and inspired by the Camino and tell some stories. And as I say, it'll be a magic night, trust me. The week after that, I'm doing a show at The Pilot in Toronto on November the 3rd. It'll be more of a standard pub show, the likes of which I do here in Sydney all the time. And I'm also speaking at a couple of chapter events for the Canadian Company of Pilgrims in Ottawa, London, Toronto, and perhaps Hamilton. Check with your local representatives. I'd love to see you there. I'd love to meet you. Come along and say hello. And don't forget to secure your tickets to the Grand Theatre Show in London for October 27. It's a Thursday night, grandtheatre.com. Now to some even bigger news. I've just returned from walking two weeks of the Camino de Santiago. <laughs> I took my wife and my two sons and a dear friend, Claudette, and we walked from Via Franca del Biezo to Santiago via Trabadello, Tricastello, Saria, Porto Marin, Palace de Rey, Melide, Azura, and Opedrezzo. It was heaven. The Camino is busy, that's for sure, but it's really interesting the bars and cafes don't seem as busy. I was talking to a friend in Spain and he said, Europeans are watching their pennies. The winter is expected to be very cold and with the Ukraine war impacting energy prices, people are watching their money. I'll talk more about my latest Camino in the coming weeks. It was just the most wonderful fortnight. Now, to this week's podcast and you are going to love it. This is a weekly podcast about El Camino de Santiago, a series of pilgrimages across Europe. Pilgrims arrive at Santiago de Compostela, a majestic old city in the northwest of Spain, where the remains of Christ's Apostle St. James are interred beneath the altar. I saw them last week. (laughs) Pilgrims walk for a range of reasons. Some are seeking answers, some are trying to resolve an issue in their life, some are perhaps walking in memory of someone, or trying to forget someone. No matter what your reason for walking is, you'll make friends from around the world. You'll challenge yourself and overcome those challenges. And you'll find the two things I simply never have enough of, time and space. The Camino is a great place to unwind, a great place to find time to contemplate. It might be you're after an answer to one of life's big questions, work, relationships or finances. You can find time to think. And then as the long Spanish afternoon lingers on, you unwind with other pilgrims from around the world. It's a great feeling to walk into a town square to hear someone call your name and push out a chair inviting them to join you. It's one of life's true joys. Many of us are lucky enough to experience joy. Others are perhaps not so lucky. There are people listening to me right now living in fear, living with fear, in fear and enveloped by fear. I've spoken with Bill Bennett on the podcast three times. Bill was one of my first guests when I talked about his book, The Way, My Way. Then we later spoke about his movie, PGS, Intuition is Your Personal Guidance System. And then Bill interviewed me when I returned from the Camino in 2017. And Bill directed and shot the video for Somewhere Along the Way, the Camino song. Bill's wonderful wife, Jennifer, is one of my most downloaded podcasts. Her insight and vision are astonishing. 
We're talking about Bill Bennett, director of 16 feature films and 10 documentaries. He's walked five Caminos. Bill's new film is called Facing Fear. It launches at a premiere in Sydney next Monday night, October 10. Bill Bennett is on the line. Welcome, Pilgrim. Gee, Dan. <laughs> I didn't realise we weren't back that far, but it's quite a ways, isn't it? It is quite a ways. Yeah, it is. Hey, let me just say up front to an old friend, congratulations on the film. I watched it last night and it's brilliant. We'll get to some of the insights and discoveries in a moment. But first, I wrote to you at the weekend to say I was delighted, shocked and amazed to see you in my newspaper on Sunday morning. What was all that about? Tell us that story. Um, well, um, Gary Maddox, a writer, senior writer for the uh, Fairfax Group, the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age and the other Fairfax publications, um, did a story on me where I announced that I have Parkinson's disease and I've had it now for a bit over four, four years. I've kept it secret all this time, um, but... It does feature in this film that's coming out in less than a week now and I figured I should probably make it public because as soon as people see the film it's going to be, it's going to be very yeah. public. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So I, I wanted to really sort of put things into a perspective before the film came out. You, you mentioned that you've had it for four years. I suspect you've had the diagnosis for four years. Have the mm. specialists been able to sort of tell you how long you may have had it? I had noticeable symptoms uh, at least 12 months before. Right. And probably longer. Um, there are some Parkinson's specialists who believe that it, that it, goes, it goes back 10 or 15 years prior, even, even before symptoms become right. noticeable. But my first noticeable symptoms were... Um, noticeable symptoms were a tremor of my right hand, my dominant hand. Jennifer and I were driving in America. We were doing the um, big marketing push for PGS. The film was uh, screening theatrically there in America and I was driving and I lifted my hand off the wheel and my hand was trembling and I, I said to Jennifer, look at this, this is weird. And she held my hand and in both of her hands, she sort of cupped my hand in her hands and um, and we just sort of looked at each other and thought, you know, maybe it's tiredness, maybe it's Starbucks coffee. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but, but, but later on I realised that, um, in fact, there are other symptoms of Parkinson's. Like I'd lost my sense of smell probably at least two years prior. Right. But no sense of smell at all. And that's a symptom, that's an early symptom of Parkinson's. Um, other early symptoms are, uh, this, a lot of people don't realise this, but, but uh, one of the early symptoms are you enact your dreams uh, as you sleep. In other words, you know, if, uh, if in your dreams you're fighting a monster, then you will actually in your bed fight the monster. Goodness. And there were times when, you know, I'd be thrashing about at Jennifer, she being the monster, <laughs> and she'd wake up and go, Bill, Bill, what's going on? And I'd go, sorry, but I was just having a bad dream. And I didn't realise that that is 
once again an early symptom of Parkinson's and in fact it, it's that still happens last night Jennifer woke me because I was shouting with joy um, in my sleep and she said what were you dreaming and I said I dreamt that I was watching a surfer and he was on this huge wave and he was on his board and he he went down the face of the wave this massive wave on his board and hit the bottom he came off his board and then he jettisoned himself into a um, body surfing position and he body surfed the wave all to the shore and i was screaming out my applause for him <laughs> and that's um that woke us. So, <laughs> so these are some of the early symptoms of Parkinson's that, that I had. And, and then I finally went to the neurologist. And by that stage, I was pretty damn sure that I had it. And he confirmed what I, what I believed. I know you. You do your research. What are you expecting, Bill, uh, over the next few years? Well, that's a really good question. Um, and in fact, one of the people in the film, which you saw last night, says... Um, that my greatest fear at the moment is not knowing what to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, Parkinson's, as as I understand it, is different for every person. There's there's no there's no one set thing for Parkinson's for people. Like I know somebody who's had the disease roughly the same amount of time as me, and they're a real mess. Mm-hmm. Like they're a real mess. Um, I'm pretty much okay. I'm on medication. I've got a bit of a cocktail, which I've got a very, very good neurologist. Um, and I'm doing the things that people, that the specialists say um, slows the progression. One of the things is intense exercise. Yeah. Um, but, Dan, the tragedy of this for me, if there is a tragedy, is that I can't walk long distances anymore. Like I get, I literally get knocked up, knocked up after about, after about a kilometre or so. Right. You know? And I and I was um, regularly walking 60, 70, 80, 80k a week just in training. You know, just just to keep my fitness up. Um, I now I've I've gone out and bought myself a pair of Nordic walking poles, which are different from the uh, trekking poles that you use as a pilgrim. Um, the Nordic the, the Nordic poles are slimmer. Um, you extend them longer, and it's a different form of walking to to the way you use trekking poles. Yeah. And um, and I walk with these now when I can because they're they're really good exercise, um, but they keep my posture um, straight. And one of the symptoms of Parkinson's is a a shuffling gait and a, a stooping posture, which um, which I have, but when I use the walking poles, it kind of fixes things up a bit. When I asked you just now, what are you expecting? Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you were fearful, and that was part of the, the the article in the newspaper at the weekend. Of naturally, you're fearful. You wondered what was going to happen to you, what was going to happen to your beautiful wife, Jennifer, and, and, and what condition you'd find yourself in. Would you be able to look after yourself? Would you love to look after your family? And I mentioned that your last film was about intuition. What did your intuition tell you 
about Parkinson's? It's a very interesting question, Dan. Um, and let me, before I answer it, let me just go back one, and that is that I'm, I'm actually not fearful now about the future. No, they, and we're yeah. going to get to that, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I thought I'd but, throw it in there anyway because that's, <laughs> you, you, you clearly were fearful. I, I was. I, I, yeah. It absolutely walloped me, you yeah. know, when I first. Even though I pretty much knew that I had it, and I would have been surprised if he'd said anything, if the neurologist had said anything else. But you know, when the news is given to you, and you walk outside in the cold, cold, harsh light of day, and think about it, and what it means for the rest of your life, you know, it's 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 a real. It really slammed me. But but um, my intuition. Okay, so here's here's something that I didn't say in that article. After I did in after I did PGS. Um, I started to take meditation seriously. I've always had difficulty with meditation because um, you know, my mind is very active. And, but I started to get into deep meditation. And on one occasion, I remember um, calling forth, calling on my spirit guides, my masters, my angels and my, my archangels, and I said to them, please bring forth that which will accelerate my spiritual growth. Mm. And it was shortly after that I started to get these trembles. Huh. Now, the only thing that I can think is that this has been given to me because I asked for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's been given to me for a purpose I, you know, I don't believe that these things ha happen randomly. I mean, I'm a fit guy. I've looked after myself. I've eaten well. Um, you know, why should I get this? And I don't believe that that it's just a random genetic or, you know, a, a chemical thing that, that that's happened um, for no reason. Yeah. I do see purpose in it. Yeah, and you mentioned in that article in the weekend, Sydney Morning Herald, that you see it now as a gift, which is a really, really extraordinary perspective, I suppose, to, to, to finally rest with. Let's talk about the film. Um, it's called Facing Fear. It launches in a week. And yeah. you get the diagnosis, so you're dealing with the diagnosis of Parkinson's and dealing with the fear associated with that, and we touched on that, and then COVID hits and the whole mm. world spirals into this, this atmosphere of fear. How did you approach the storytelling of that monumental occurrence in the world? Um, look, it didn't really have much influence really um, for a couple of reasons. And one is that fear is fear, you know, whether it's a pandemic or whether it's your business going bust or whether it's, you know, your husband or your wife walking out on you or, or whatever. Um, fear is fear. And pandemics, um, you know, I'm conscious that these films are going to last a while and the pandemic will, will, will fade mm. as, as massive and monumental as it, as it is. Um, you know, so I'm looking at fear in its purest form, if you like, irrespective of what's caused it. Um, I, I open the film with the impact that the diagnosis has on me. And then as you saw from last night, Dan, and as I've done in 
the intuition film, I then use my personal entry point, if you like, then to, to broaden out into a much sort of um, um, all-encompassing um, sure. examination of fear, as I did with intuition. Yeah. You know, because one thing is that I didn't want this film to be about me and, and my um, ostensible, you know, problems. I wanted to say, look, this has happened to me, but now come with me on this journey and let's look at fear and explore it and and examine it from every different which way um, and see whether or not you can get any benefit from, from this examination from it. Yeah, and that's one of the very first things that I, when taking notes watching the film last night, I wrote, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure. <laughs> yeah, it's a lovely quote by Joseph Campbell. Um, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. Yeah, and, and in other words, um, and this is how I see it as a gift, is that it is a treasure what I've been given. Um, in in this weird kind of way, it is accelerating my spiritual growth. Yeah, and it's enabling me to see the world in. Uh, a sharper, more focused way. Um, I feel more empathy. I feel more gra- gratitude. I feel more compassion. Um, all of these things now are heightened because of my condition. And and I believe that I only have a, a finite time, you know, like, like I say in the film. You get, you know, I'm, I'm now counting back, like, you know, you do the actu- actuarial research and you look at the life expectancy and so forth, somebody who has Parkinson's, and I can now start to count back, whereas my, prior to this in my entire life I've always counted forward. Yeah. If I've counted at all, you know, but, but, but with this I'm counting back. And so what that means is that every moment is precious, every day is precious. You know, you, the people you love, you tell them you love them. And you show you love them. And the people that you don't know, you tell them you love them because you do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's, it's a great way for you to show by example in the film that you are seeking to learn more, to give yourself the energy and the courage to take it on, right? But all of these terrific interviewees that you have and many of them appeared in Intuition and many of them are, are spiritual writers or their their channels or, or, or their scholars. And, and there's this one scene in particular where one of your guests says, breathe in the sunlight and breathe out the love. And he's, 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 he's overcoming this very, very traumatic experience and, and uh, emergency. And in order to calm himself, he's saying, breathe in the sunlight and breathe out the love. Now, when I wrote that down on my piece of paper, I I looked at at the little piece that I'd written above it from earlier in the film, only a few minutes, I must say. You said in the film, fear preys on you from the shadows. And I wondered whether you had found a light to shine into those shadows and then later I thought, well, perhaps he has in order to breathe in the sunlight 
and breathe out the love. It's a very powerful message, isn't it? Um, that's said by Michael Sandler, um, who is the host of Inspire Nation. And Michael has become a friend. And in fact, I'm in the very fortunate position of saying that a good deal of the people in this film and in, in the previous Intuition film as well have become friends. Um, it's, um, you know, it's interesting. One of, the, one of the chapters, because the film, like PGS, is... Um, divided into various chapters, and one of the chapters looks at fear versus love. Mm. Um, and it's Dr. Joe Dispenza, in fact. I, I put this to him. I say, I say, look, people say there are two states. There's either fear or there is either love. There's either fear or love. What do you say to that? And he says, it's not true. He comes back very, very sharply. Um, and then he gives his reasons as to why it's not true. And it's followed up by... Uh, uh, a woman out of Palm Springs who says that you can't separate fear and love. You know, you can't, you can't um, experience love without experiencing fear. Um, and you need fear to experience love. And this notion that, in fact, the two are inseparable is really, really quite interesting. Um, yeah, I've, I've got to say, Dad, I've learned so much yeah. in the making of this film. And I really do think that probably one of the reasons why I'm as good as I am at the moment, four years post-diagnosis, is because I've learned so much from the, from the making of this film. And I hope that people who get to watch the film will... will you know, learn, learn stuff as well, and, and it will help them. Um, you know, Jennifer was against me uh, using using my Parkinson's in the film. She was vehemently against it, and she still is now, even though she loves the film and thinks the film is a very good film. Um, but she's still she's still in principle against my using it in the film, and the reason being. That, and this is backed up by several people in the film who say the same thing, is that where you place your attention is where you place your energy and where you yeah. place your energy is where things manifest. Yeah, yeah. Words, what you're saying is that, you know, you, you, you are taking ownership of your disease in this film and so you will have this disease. Mm -hmm. And she says... Um, and, in fact, it's Sister Jenna, one of the people in the film, who says, I've talked myself into fear and I can talk myself out of fear. And I extrapolate that to, you know, I have, I have asked for this disease and now I can ask for the disease to go away or leave me alone or, or let me get on with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's no doubt that because of, this, because of this Parkinson's, I now have a heightened level of awareness um, and that's why I say that it's a gift, you know. And, I, and I, I guess I hope that in the manner in which I'm approaching this, then other people can take something from it or they can choose not to. Um, we each come at it from our own, you know, at our own stage along our own personal journey. Yeah, that's right. I got a lot out of it, I have to say, because I am quite a fearful person. I am quite 
I, I worry a lot. Um, I, I worry a lot about things that I can't control, and I've tried and tried what, and tried not to do it. About? Dan, what do you worry about, man? Oh, people I love. No, but but what do you worry about? Well, I worry about paying the bills. Mm. And yeah. I worry about my health. Yeah. I worry about not being around for my family. Yeah. I worry about my family's health and safety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they're just natural worries, but I'm a worrier. I have always been a worrier, even since I was a little kid. My mother would say to me, stop fretting <laughs> when, well, I, okay, when so I was little. Let's, let's have a look at that. Um, as you know from the film, the film looks at uh, real fear versus false fear. And real fear being, if you like, survival fear. Yeah. You know, um, you know the fear that you experience when somebody jumps out of an alley and puts a gun at your head or, you know, you... You're standing on a precipice, and you're you start to lose your balance, that kind of thing. And then, yeah. and then there, there there are false fears, but all of the fear, fears that you told me about are all based on loss. So loss of abundance, being you know not worried about not being able to pay the bills. Um, your health is um, um, loss of good health. Um, you know, one of the biggest fears. And again, it's talked about in the film is um, what people think of you, and that's loss of self-esteem, loss yeah. of uh, loss of respect. And one of the things that I've come to learn in the making of the film is if you can come to terms with the fear of loss, then a lot of the fears that you have just start to just fall away. In other words, if you start to believe that there is no such thing as loss, that there's only transition from one form to another then, and if you really begin to believe that, um, then it's it's quite interesting just how the fears just start to melt away. Um, I would put it to you that a lot of the fears that you have, uh, if you really, really drill down and look at them, are false fears. Um, you'll always be able to pay the bills. You will always be in good health. Um there's no need to worry about your family because, number one, you can't control them. You can't control that. You have absolutely no control over that. Um, you know, I'm, uh, Carolyn May said something very, very important in uh, towards the end of PGS. Um, she said, how do you know what's a bad thing? And... For me, it's probably the thing that's stuck most in my mind out of everything that everybody said in that movie. How do you know what's a bad thing? Now, people say, you've got Parkinson's disease. Oh, I'm so sorry. That must be, that's such a bad thing. How do you know it's a bad thing? You know, it could be the best thing that's ever happened to me. Hmm. And I actually think it probably is. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, I don't think that I could have made this film without this disease. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like the universe it's like here's what I think. It's like the universe said to me, All right, Bill, you wanna make a film on fear? Well we're gonna show you fear, mate. 
<laughs> we're we're going to show you fear so you experience it and you can make this film with absolute total authenticity. Anyway, I want to make a film on death, so I'm, I wonder what they've got in the store. <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder, <laughs> it's funny, I just wonder how fear has changed as the generations have changed, Bill. Has social media, for instance, impacted our capacity for fear? And I imagine people living in times of world wars would have encountered extraordinary fear. How has fear changed as generations changed, do you think? I don't think fear has changed. I think fear is a, is a, a constant. It's a permanent. Um, it's an emotion. The definition of fear, which, um, which I think probably works best, is fear is an emotion um, to a threat either real or perceived. Yeah. Um, and perceived being probably the most important word in all of that definition because most of the fears that we do experience are perceived fears or false fears. And I don't, I, you know, look, the, the, the manifestation or the, you know, the, the response that we have to those fears possibly does change. But, but trauma is trauma, anxiety is anxiety, stress is stress. Um, these are all... Um, functions of fear. You know, um, I've really, you know, it's interesting, Dan, if, if we'd had this interview, you know, even 12 months ago or 18 months ago before I'd really sort of got into the editing, uh, I wouldn't be as informed as I am about fear um, now having having gone through everything in, in the, the detail that I have. Yeah. But one of the things that, um, that, that strikes me is that, and I say in the film, fear is um, a construct of time and a function of loss. We've talked about loss, but time. Fear, as I understand it, lives either in the past or in the future. It lives in the past through um, memory and through regret and in the future through expectation or projection. But it doesn't live now. It doesn't live right in this moment. Right in this moment, you don't have anything to fear. You've got nothing to fear at all. But if you start to dig around, you go, oh, um, you know, my boss said something bad to me last week and maybe I'm going to lose my job. Or um, that rattle in the car, um, I think um, my engine's giving out in the car. It's going to cost me $8,000 to fix. You know, so that's that's... Back projection and forward projection. Yeah, but I, I started to think. I, I, I started to think. Okay, so is there an example of this? And I came up with this. So you've got a plane, and it's full of passengers, and the plane suddenly plummets. It just like drops like a stone, and the oxygen masks come down, and the uh, overhead bins open up, and luggage goes everywhere, and people start to scream, and shriek, and panic. And sitting in one of the seats is the Dalai Lama. And the Dalai Lama goes into a meditation. Um, and the reason that the people are panicking and screaming is twofold. One is because they have seen movies where planes have crashed and people have died, or they've seen news reports where planes have crashed and people have died. Um, and so their response is based on previous knowledge. 
And their response is also informed by projection of this plane is going to crash because it's dropping like a stone and very soon I'm going to die. Whereas the Dalai Lama is absolutely calm because he's gone into meditation. And in this meditation, he's found a place of timelessness. So he is divorced from the past, he's divorced from the future, and he's absolutely right in the moment. And he's not panicking, he's not fearful. Now, if we can find a way where we can, <laughs> where we can, we can stay present and we can push aside the past and we can refuse to accept the fear that, that stalks us in the future and go, right at this moment, the sun's out, I've got money in my pocket, I've got a friend, partner, pet, whatever, that loves me, things are pretty bloody good. Mm. Now, if we, can, if we can stay in that state for as long as we possibly can, we will be free of fear. Michael Tamura, who's also featured in your intuition film, who speaks brilliantly in this new film, makes a very mm. important point about other people's fear. Yeah. That's really important, isn't it? Yeah, I've thought about that a lot as well, Dan. You're absolutely right. You know, he says, is the fear your own? Yeah. Um, you know, and if you are connected to somebody, time and distance doesn't matter. You can feel their fear and you can take on their fear. Um, and yet you have no control over their fear and you have no control over any kind of outcomes which might mitigate that fear. But it's a very, very important, very important point. And, you know, you talked before about fearing for the safety of your family, which is a natural fear. Um, but you're taking on their fear. Or possibly you're creating a fear that they then take on because you're fearful. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting, isn't it? Boy, I, 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 again, I'll wrap the film. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. There was one thing that I think you touched on earlier that I, I just wanted to sort of just sound you out about, Bill. I'm a lifelong Catholic, right? Mm -hmm. I've been told my whole life that I was born with original sin and mm -hmm. I was told, told that I'd go to hell and burn in hell with my skin peeling off if I sinned. And it was a doctrine based entirely on fear. Yet yeah. Christianity, if you go back to Jesus Christ's teaching, was all about love. What about religion, Bill? Where does religion fit in, in terms of fear? Well, Lee Carroll, who features in the film, he, um, he's probably better known as Cryon, he talks about sitting in the, um, in the church in Assisi. Now, I've been to that church several times in Italy um, and looking at uh, some of the stained glass windows and about um, the images of um, children and and so forth, being devoured by, by snarling beasts and about how this is meant to, you know, th these are horrific images meant to induce fear. Um, fear has always been used, whether it's by religion or by business or by government, fear has always been used to control. 
Um, and in the end, most institutionalised religions um, seek to control you in some form or another. You know, you you follow the text, you play, you follow the line, and if you don't, then God help you, so to speak. I mean, I, I um, as you know, I'm not a religious person, and I don't. Um, and whilst I respect the underlying core beliefs of the religions that I know, um, I think that the institutions that have been built around those religions have lost their way. And I think they, they use fear in the same way the government uses fear and the same way that advertising uses fear. Yeah. And that is to control. Yeah, to, to control us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just cast my mind back while you were talking there about religion and and my own experience and perhaps that's partly why I am such a fearful person. And it was while we were talking about it, I got, I don't know if, if it's the suggestion in my own mind, but I sort of thought maybe I felt a little bit of a sh- of, of shame that I'm fearful. Should I be ashamed that I carry fear? No, of course not. Of course not. I mean, um, but, Dan, one of the things that you talked about in your introduction, which I thought was beautifully written, you know, and you talked about um, some of of the transformational aspects of walking a Camino, and one of the biggest ones, as you point out, is self-reflection and self-awareness. Yeah. You know, and, and anyone who walks the Masetta... Um, I think has to has to undergo some form of self reflection, self awareness. You know, I think the the Camino generally, and and for me the Masetta in particular, um, forces you to that point. And part of you know one of the things that I've learned in, on this journey that I'm on is that there is no point in ha- having regrets for things you've done or you know, for actions you've taken or for people you've hurt or for thoughts you've had or for, you know, being or acting in a particular way. All of these things that have happened to you have brought you to this point right now, which is who you are right at this moment, and that is a beautiful, pure soul. And... Once you get to that point of realisation, everything else just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. I mean, you know, I've been a horrible person in my life at times. I've done awful things to people. Um, I've said dreadful things that, you know, now if, you know, if I went back in a time machine and I looked at myself, you know, in younger years, I would be hugely embarrassed by what I was. And... That used to worry me, but I don't worry about that anymore because I probably had to go through that to end up being who I am right at this moment. Sure. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy with who I am at the moment. It's not to say I can't improve. <laughs> <laughs> Can fear be a friend? Oh, fear's got to be a friend. And that's probably the most important thing that I've learned from making the film. Um 
um, you know, people demonize, demonize fear and then run away from it. But one of the most important interviews I did is with a fellow called um, uh, Dr. Richard Schwartz, who is a professor of um, psychology at um, Harvard, Harvard Medical School. And he has founded uh, what's called, what he calls the internal family systems mode of uh, psychotherapy. What he does is he, through this internal family systems method of, of treating trauma and fear and so forth, is, is he gets you to look inside yourself and find, find your fear inside yourself, find where it is and begin to personalise it and um, and literally treat it as a friend, get to know it. Um, you know, he talks about in the film asking your fear what, what the fear wants and he says invariably what the fear wants is it wants to protect you and it wants to love you. And, I mean, I, I let the interview go on quite a bit because it's, um, it's really important what he says. Um, I mean, he is one of the one of the great scientists in the world that's that's tackling this sort of issue in quite an unconventional way. But he says, absolutely, treat your fear as a friend and love your fear, get to know your fear. And once you get to know your fear and your fear becomes your friend, it doesn't have the potency that it, that it once did. It's, it, you can then walk hand in hand with your fear and find ways to better your life as a consequence of that. And then, therefore, toward the, the won't give away the ending of the film, but there sometimes can be a capacity for joy in fear. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The, um, you know, it, it is, your natural reaction is to run away from fear. Um, the reason the film is called Facing Fear is because what I propose in the film is that you do have to face it and you have to learn from it because it's there for a reason and the reason is, in most instances, it shows you growth. Um, you might remember there's an entrepreneur in the, in the film that talks about using fear as an entrepreneur. Yeah. You know, she says, I don't feel like I'm really pushing myself unless I'm, I'm scared, unless I really, you know, go right out to the edge of my boundaries, take myself out of my comfort zone and go, this, this is going to scare the pants off me, but I have to do it and I believe that I can do it. You know, so, and there's another person, one of the most fascinating interviews that I did was with a retired lieutenant colonel in the US Rangers who then went into becoming a mercenary. He yeah, was a crack amazing. sniper. Yeah. He talked about fear under, under battle conditions. But he says in the film the most alive he's ever felt is when he's scared, when he's, when he's under fire and he's terrified. He says, he says you, you just feel absolutely alive. Well, here we are on a Camino podcast, Bill Bennett. Your new movie is about to come out. Tell us about fear and the Camino because in many ways – the Camino has, has delivered you a lot of impetus and motivation for fear. <laughs> well, you know, Dan, I, I, I got to say, when I did the first Camino, 
um, I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified. And, and I kind of found it exhilarating. And, you know, when I broke it down, I was trying to think, well, what exactly am I afraid of? And I think probably I was afraid, I was afraid of not finishing. I wasn't afraid of falling down and dying or, or anything like that. Um, but, but, you know, here I, here I am, like about to turn 60, I think it was, and I'm feeling fear and it's kind of fun, yeah. you know, because, because it, you know, it, it's sort of like this, this fear that I felt was sort of just absolutely pushing me right to the edge and I, and I just, I did feel alive. I felt all my senses kind of like lit up. Um, and then when I got to, um, you know, the, on the first day, going up to Ron Surveyors, <laughs> I, had, I had every reason to feel afraid. Bloody <laughs> hell. <laughs> you know, if I'd known what I was in for, I would have felt, felt more afraid. But here's the thing. Um, okay, so I'm, so I'm going along and I'm on the Masetta and, and I, I've, and I'm in this alberga. It's like 4:30 in the morning. People are waking up, and they're and they're scrambling around in the dark, and they're getting dressed, and they're and they're heading off in a rush. And then, so I I set off, and then I'm passed by all these people, and they've got their heads down, and their their legs are pumping, and their arms are you know pumping, and and they're not looking around, they're not stopping, they're not smelling the you know the beautiful yellow flowers and all yeah, of that stuff. Yeah. And I realised that what what was happening was that they they were rushing to get a bed. You know, because as you know, um, on the Masetta, there's um, there's only a certain number of albergues, only a certain number of amount of accommodation, and if you miss a village, if you can't get a, play, uh, a bed in a village, then oftentimes it's a long walk to the next village. And so what I what I I got caught up in this, Dan. You know, I found myself getting caught up in this, and I I started to. I started to kind of like view every person that passed me as being like this villain who was stealing my bed. Yeah, yeah, the Camino <laughs> gift. <laughs> that was right, you know, like this crazy, crazy thought. <laughs> and, and, you know, these people are rushing, 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 you know, to, to, get, um, to get to the albergue to get a bed. And what's happening is that they're missing out on all the beauty and all the culture and and everything that that the Camino provides for you, and particularly on the Masetta, you know. And the Masetta is, as you know, it's a meditative place. Yeah. You know, it's a place where, for me anyway, it's a place where you really find yourself. You really, um, you really dig deep within yourself. But to do that, you have to be self-aware, and you have and you have to get into that sort of metronomic. Um, way of thinking that, that the Masetta that the Masetta provides for you, and what I what I discovered was this that the, that fear was getting in the way of me having a proper Camino experience, and then I had this great epiphany. And it was very very simple. I stopped and I thought, okay, I'm really scared that I'm not going to get a bed tonight. You know that that's fouling my whole day. It's yeah. it's spoiling my whole day. What's the worst that can happen? Well, the worst that can happen is that I'm going to get to a village and I'm not going to be able to get a bed and the next village is going to be too far, I'm going to be too exhausted and I'm going to be, I'm going to be stuck. Okay, so what's the worst that can happen? Well, the worst that can happen is that I can find some place to sleep that's not in an albergue. 
You know, I can sleep under a tree. It's um, it's a sunny day. There's not going to be any rain tonight. I've got, um, a, you know, I've got um, a sleeping bag and stuff like that. I'll be comfortable. Or I could sleep in the um, under the, an alcove of a of a church or someplace like that. So anyway, so so I sort of applied this thing. What's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is that I can sleep under a tree. Okay, I can manage that. And then I thought, wow, this is really quite interesting. Maybe I should apply this then to other fears that I have. And as I, as I walked that day, I got this incredible sense of liberation, you know, that suddenly the fear was dropped away because when I realized that I could face the worst that could happen and the worst that could happen is that I would sleep under a tree, you know, and that was okay. And in fact, I might, probably might even have a more enjoyable experience sleeping under a tree, you know, sleeping in one of those crowded, dirty albergues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 true. Um, and, um, and you never know, you know, people might stop and have conversations with me and I might form new friendships and all sorts of things. You just don't know. And But then I started to think, well, okay, let's see if I can apply this then to other things that I'm fearful of, you know, like um, I'm going to go broke. All right, what's the worst that can happen? And then you, you, you ask yourself that question. You, are, you keep on asking yourself that question. And um, like I was having knee, knee problems, what's the worst that can happen? Well, I'll have a, a, a titanium knee. Well, that's okay. Well, I, can, I can manage that. You know, and so anyway, I, I came back from the Camino with this, with this kind of... Um, what would you call it, um, tool really, you know, this tool for, for dealing with fear. Ask yourself what's the worst that can happen and then look at that and look at it with absolute honesty and ask, ask yourself, can I manage, can I manage that? Can I, is there a way that I can deal with that? And if the answer is yes, then the fear drops away. And once the fear drops away, of course, you know, everything tends to work out. In my case, I got to an albergue and everybody said there were no beds there, but I found a bed. Um, anyway, I, I just found, you know, for, for me the, the Camino was this extraordinary um, opportunity for me to really examine fear um, and find a way of working through fear. Wow. Look, there's so much we can talk about in relation to the film, Bill. There's a moment, though, where one of your guests talks about miracles. I think it's Caroline Mace. Our miracles are real. They're a moment of healing that simply takes the time out of the mm -hmm. equation. And, you know, yeah. it, it took me back to my little brother, Leo, uh, who passed away from cancer three years ago just last week. And I only just had a conversation with someone else that you and I both know battling cancer as well. And I said... To Leo, you'll beat this. And he said, no, I won't. But he said, if you want to believe it and it makes you feel better, you say it, you believe it, but I won't mm. be beating this. Mm. And it was almost as if he, did, he had decided at that point to take the fear out of it. Mm. He knew what was coming and decided to live with it. Mm. And there's a great part in the film where we learn I am and that is enough. And we also learn that often your first thought is your best thought. Yeah. And I think your courage to take on this film, even after your diagnosis, Bill, speaks volume about your capacity 
to take on fear. The film is a triumph. I'll be at the premiere in Sydney next week and I can't wait. Uh, I've got the details of fanforce.com and people being able to to find out all of the details. I'll certainly urge my listeners to support and see the film. It's life-changing. And Bill, thanks for taking the time to talk to me again. Congratulations on Facing Fear. And I'm sure you'll take... Yeah. Dan, let me ask you, am, am I now the, the person you've most interviewed on this show? Yes. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> you are. You are. You are indeed, most definitely. Um, oh, I love that. Yes. I love that. Yes. You're doing the most amazing work with this podcast, Dan. It really is. Oh, that's very kind of you. Thanks, Bill. I think you can tell I enjoy it. Oh, yeah, you do. Well, look. I'm looking forward to seeing you there at the screening and thank you so much for this talk. It's um, every every time I talk to you, I learn something new. Well, thanks for your insights and scholarship because you've put an awful lot of work into it and I know Jennifer has too. Um, And I hope, fingers crossed, that you can get back out walking and there's another Camino in sight. In the meantime, buen Camino. Thank you. My guest this week was Bill Bennett. Bill's new film is called Facing Fear. The film is launched at the Randwick Ritz in Sydney next Monday, October 10. Details of other screenings, and they're all around the world, are at fan-force.com forward slash films forward slash facing dash fear. I'll give that to you again in a moment if you're running to grab a pen (laughs) because it's a bit tricky, but it's really worth seeing. I have thoroughly enjoyed my friendship with Bill and, and Jen goes back, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, quite some time. And I've enjoyed watching his journey, him and Jennifer's journey, as they've put these films together. And they are quite exquisite. And this one in particular is really great. So you're going to love it. And I couldn't highly recommend it enough. Fan-force.com forward slash films forward slash facing dash fear. Don't forget, I'm travelling to Canada later this month to do some shows and some talks. I'm playing at the Grand Theatre in Ontario on Thursday, October 27 at 7pm. Tickets are on sale now. You can go to grandtheatre.com and click on tickets. It's called Somewhere Along the Way, An Evening with Dan Mullins. And then a week later, I'm doing a pub show at The Pilot in Toronto, November the 3rd. I'm also speaking at a couple of chapter events for the Canadian Company of Pilgrims in Ottawa, London, Toronto and perhaps Hamilton. Check with your local representatives. Thanks for your company this week and every week. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino.